This is the Future of HR podcast, episode 18. Personal branding behaviors will lead to higher personal brand equity, but also personal brand equity in turn leads to greater employability, greater career satisfaction, but also greater job performance. How can you measure your personal brand equity? What behaviors have the most impact on your personal brand? Hi, I'm your host, JP Elliott, and this is the Future of HR podcast, the only podcast whose mission is to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. On each episode, I interview successful HR executives and thought leaders who are reimagining, rethinking, and leading our field into the future. During our candid conversations, you will learn about their career journeys, their lessons learned along the way, and their insights on how to take our field and most importantly, your career to the next level. My guest this week is Dr. Sergey Gorbatov, who writes, speaks, and teaches about the complex science of human performance and careers, all with the goal of making it simple. He's also the co-author of Fair Talk, Three Steps to Powerful Feedback, which I believe is a must-read for HR leaders and managers. He's also an adjunct professor of human resources of IE Business School of Madrid, and when Sergey is not writing or teaching, he is an area director for LATAM Aesthetics at AbbVie, a Fortune 100 company. With over 15 years of experience, Sergey has delivered results in a wide spectrum of roles with deep expertise in talent management, leadership, and organizational effectiveness. A true global citizen, Sergey is passionate about cultures, diversity, and languages. A Russian native, he has lived and worked in the United States, Russia, South Africa, Spain, and Switzerland. More recently, Sergey and three other researchers from academia developed and validated a personal brand equity scale, which we'll dig into today, and I believe will help you not only enhance your personal brand, but also grow your career. During our conversation, Sergey and I will discuss how his mindset on growth and taking risk has impacted his career, why building a personal brand is not for everyone, the three factors that determine how much your personal brand is worth, how you can make your personal brand stand out while still fitting in, how someone's personal brand impacts their performance or talent ratings, and much more. Okay, welcome to the Future of HR podcast. How are you? It's great to be here, JP. All's good here and reporting from Irvine, California. We are ecstatic to have you on the show today. You are one of one of the smartest minds in talent, oh, stars you are very in our kind. area of talent. Well, I'm a big fan of what you and Angela Lane have put together in your book. Fair Talk is terrific. My first question for you is this. You truly have had this global career and have had the opportunity to live and work in Russia, South Africa, Spain, Switzerland, and the United States. Tell us more about your career path and the movements across those countries. I guess you can now call me a rootless cosmopolitan, right? Because sometimes people ask me where you're from and sometimes I stumble for an answer because moving so frequently, you pick different things from different countries and accents along the way, but also you pick up experiences. And we know that experience is the most powerful development tool that we have at our, at our disposal. So thinking about my career, I like to think in terms of experiences that, that I've collected. So when I started off at Shell in Russia, Instantly, I got a number of developmental experiences. My first job was a bag carrier for the vice president of the region, vice president of HR. So I was sitting in the meetings that she was sitting in, 
and I was doing all the analytics work for her and I was taking the minutes for her and I was preparing briefs for her. And that was amazing because even though I didn't understand 90% of what really was going on, that was the exposure and the type of work that prepared me for the future also. It gave, it showed me the perspective and it showed me the breadth of the HR function that sort of showed me the lay of the land of everything that they were to explore for me in the future so that I already knew everything that I didn't know back. And after that, I got a job in HR operations, HR, you know, SAP rollout, the type of job that you want, that you want to do once in your career and never go back to that again. And then I got, I was lucky. I got the expert assignment in South Africa and that was the HR business partner job. I think that was the best, uh, the best job in my life. South Africa that I love to, to bits, an amazing country, amazing, amazing people. That was a beautiful role, three years. And after which I decided to do an MBA because one learning from that role was that I didn't really understand the business at that, uh, at the time. And uh, one of the learnings was that I couldn't really add 150% value in that role if I didn't understand how the money was, how the money was made by my company. So I spent one year in doing full-time MBA and then I joined PMI in a compensation benefits department, 10 months in that role in Spain. Again, probably as much time as you would want to spend a comp and band role. No offense to my comp and band colleagues. And that's, that's a talent person joke for today. And then <laughs> I moved to Lausanne in Switzerland to, to work in the executive development department, working with top 200 of the company, very high level, high exposure role. That's the deep expertise. And that is how do you build development plans for VPs and general managers and managing directors of the company, working with elite top schools on the white glove programs for them, creating solutions that are one of a kind. and. Lots of visibility, lots of accountability, but then also lots of reward if you get it right. And then I got a call from a, a small company called Abvi. And back then in 2014, it was a it was a small company. It was a 20 billion startup, as it was referred to back then, just separated from Abbott. And the ambition was great. The ambition was to become a cool agile biopharma company quickly get on its feet and hit the ground running with a few great assets in their pocket and a fast developing pipeline. And I joined in, in the talent team as director of general manager development. Again, great projects, great visibility, and then a role in talent management. And here I am in California, in Irvine, looking after Latin America in, again, in the business HR role. It seems like what you've done really well is been able to understand quickly the situation in terms of a, a leadership standpoint of how you need to deliver in that role. And then also match that to the cultural piece as well, which makes you very agile and adaptable and is a skill that probably takes a long time to develop. 
The other area you have adapted is into education. You are actually an adjunct professor at IE Business School in Madrid. Tell us more about how that opportunity came up and your passion for research, teaching, and coaching others. I mentioned that I did my MBA in Madrid. So that was at IE Business School. And I never really lost connection with my professors. One professor in particular, her name is Monica Ham. I did a fellowship with her while I was in the school. So I helped a little bit with her research because I received a fellowship at IE that helped me a little bit with tuition. They did a little bit of discount and I helped her researching the papers and preparing, organizing the data for her research. And I kept in touch throughout the years that I was in Switzerland. So when I got back to Madrid, I reached out to her and say, hey, Monica, I'm interested in maybe teaching a course or being a guest speaker in one of your courses. And she introduced me to the department head. And the department head gave me an opportunity to say, and she said, hey, why don't you try and teach a course? And she assigned me a mentor who showed me how to put the syllabus together, how to get access to resources. I said, and we'll see how it goes. And I taught my first course. And of course, it was a disaster. I said, yeah, you know what? We expected that because it happens to everybody. You know, you don't teach your first course and you get the stellar grades. But you know what? It, it, it was a disaster, but it wasn't a total failure. Nobody went to Dean to complain about you. You just got a not so fantastic grades. So I got, here's the second course for you. And I taught a second course and it was already, it was over 4.0 out of 5. Said, oh, okay. So there is a promise for you. And now there is no course that I teach that would be below 4.5 which is a cutoff to get a certificate of teaching excellence. So it's okay to suck at the beginning. It means that there is always room for improvement. That's great advice. I appreciate you sharing that story. So many of us think that we have to be great the first time we do something, and that is such a fallacy because no one is great the first time they do it, right? And so I love that you shared your story about how you kind of were a little bit of a, maybe you felt like you were a disaster. I'm sure it was not as bad as you think, Sergey. You start where you start. And also, you, even great professors have bad days and have bad courses. And pick any profession that requires experimentation and reinvention in order to stay relevant or in order to appeal to their customers. Now and then you need to try new things. And in order to try new things, to be up to date, to be at the edge, you would need to try new. And with trying new, you never know if you're going to succeed or not. So you are taking a risk. And with taking a risk, it might be a flop or it might be a success, but you don't know until you've tried it out. Otherwise you are not advancing. Otherwise, you are not reinventing yourself and you're, by default, you're not learning. And that's the greatest risk of all. That is the greatest risk of all, is not to learn, to grow, to adapt, right? To really go stagnant in your career or just as in your personal life, right? You always want to be doing more and, and learning more. And you've definitely done that. 
And there's some research we're going to talk a little bit more about because I'm really fascinated by this research that you have done. And it's around personal branding. So the common advice is that everyone should be building a personal brand. But recently, you published some research on this concept with other professors and researchers around personal brand equity. Can you tell us more about why you selected that topic? First of all, on something that you said, everything should be building a personal brand. And my question would be, what for? Yes, perhaps, but there are certain professions that may not require a strong personal brand. Or if you are not, depending on what you're seeking from your career and depending on your personal definition of career success. If you are happy with what you have and if you're not aspiring for anything more than what you have now, then maybe you don't need a personal brand or maybe you don't need a personal brand greater than what you have now. And therefore, you don't need to listen to anyone that tells you otherwise. Or your having a personal brand might be detrimental to your career if you are a spy or if you work for defense or if you work for another industry or a job where being known will do you more harm than good. So that's just a word of caution. But for most of us, having a stronger personal brand is indeed good. The question is what type of personal brand and personal brand in itself doesn't do much. But the question is how much is your personal brand worth? And that's the concept that my colleagues and I have been investigating and we defined and operationalized it as personal brand equity, which is basically the value of your personal brand. How much is your personal brand worth? And the value of your personal brand has three factors to it. Brand appeal, brand differentiation, and brand recognition. So brand appeal, that is, is your brand attractive to the target audience? Does your target audience like your personal brand? And here, it doesn't mean that necessarily needs to be positive to likable to everyone. When Lady Gaga walked into that nightclub wearing the, her dress made from meat steaks, she wasn't appealing to everyone. She wanted to appeal to a very specific audience of her little monsters. And so you really need to understand who your audience is and making sure that your brand appeal to that specific audience. The second factor is brand differentiation. Uh, make sure that you stand out. But you don't need, you need to make sure that you stand out to such an extent that you still remain within your professional field. You don't want to stand out too far so that you become an outlier. So the question that you need to be asking is, how do I stand out while still fitting in? Uh, and there is this concept of optimal distinctiveness. How can I be optimally distinctive? And that is precisely the point where your points of di differentiation overlay your points of 
um, of, sim- of similarities. And the third factor is that of brand recognition. And that is how well your brand is known among different people. So how widely are you known? How many people know about you as a professional, as a person? How widely is it known among those that are your target audience? And taking together, well, that translates into the value of your personal brand. It's fascinating research and a concept that I think has not been really well defined in popular research or books and literature, right? There's lots of books on building a personal brand with not a lot of advice to do it. So what you're saying is brand appeal, know your audience. Who are you really trying to build a brand for and with? Kind of Lady Gaga example. How do you stand out while fitting in? And then how do you become widely known enough that people are going to recognize and think about you for a certain way. Talk more about the research you did. So the concept is clear. What did you learn in the research that would be interesting for next generation HR leaders to know? First of all, the research is clear that personal branding attempts lead to higher personal brand equity. So personal branding behaviors and those behaviors that are strategic, differentiated, and technologically enabled. So your personal branding behaviors will lead to higher personal brand equity, but also personal brand equity in turn leads to greater employability, greater career satisfaction, but also greater job performance, job perform, and particularly job performance rating, because in one of the studies that we did in a large manufacturing organization, we found out that those who had higher personal brand equity also enjoyed higher performance ratings by their managers. But what's interesting is that later we looked into we looked into those performance ratings because they were split by goal rating and behavior rating and what was interesting is that we didn't find any relationship between uh, between the goal rating but we found a strong relationship with the behavior rating what it means is that how you behave how you portray yourself really influences how people rate your behaviors while that may have a impact on the quality of your work, which was to be expected. Maybe disappointing, but for some people, but should be expected if you're playing along and know what's happening. If you've got a strong personal brand, you're likable, you're standing out but fitting in, you're recognized. It sounds like what your research really quantified is that that brand, how you behave, might even be more important than what you actually delivered on the goals or influence how people saw the goals, potentially. Exactly. And that's also what we found in a different piece of research, that when look at the calibrated ratings, that is ratings that are taken by a talent committee, that is when several people discuss the ratings of a person, then the impact of personal brand equity is even stronger. That is when people, several people are already discussing you, then it 
It is more about how you're perceived by others versus of what you actually do or what you actually produce. So, which means that in situations where several people need to pass a judgment or opinion about you, which is right now, in most cases, that is, and people take promotional decisions, people take hiring decisions, typically in committees, or that's when really the personal brand equity be- becomes an important, an important construct or an important thing to be developing and paying attention to. So that's why make sure that your appeal, your differentiation, and your recognition are all high. You know, what's really interesting there is that I think as HR professionals, talent professionals, we would say you should have a calibration session to calibrate performance ratings, talent review. We're trying to be objective in that situation. What you just said, Sergey, is we are absolutely not objective. It's even more subjective or influenced by other people's perceptions of those folks in that room. But instead of talent review, it's personal brand review is what's sort of happening, it sounds like. That might be so. That might be so. And that's why in those reviews for HR professionals, it's very important to ask questions around deliverables and ask for specific examples of what the person has achieved, the person has done, the person has delivered. So, and here I'm appealing to all HR colleagues is to think about the type and the nature of the conversations that are happening in those talent reviews and really have a moment of reflections of exactly what are we discussing? Are we discussing personal brands of those people or are we asking, are we discussing their deliverables? That's a really good insight and it can be hard to do for some roles that are less metrics-based, but I love how you're going back to the work and really trying to dive into the performance of what they delivered versus, oh, they're really smart. You know, I really like them. They're fun to be with. Whatever the brand is, you know, with people. So, Sergey, the next question I have for you, what's your advice for a next generation HR leader who wants to build their personal brand? How do you assess it? And how do you think about being more strategic and how you're perceived? Always start with the why. So why do I need a personal brand? Hmm? So what's the direction that I'm going towards? What's my career goal? Once you've answered that question, that is, what do I want to get out of my career? What's my definition of career success and where I'm going? You understand, okay, and you define the strategy. Once you've defined the strategy, you would have defined the path and then you would figure out to pursue that strategy. This is the type of brand that I would need to create. And once you've defined the type of brand that you need to create, you will start the good marketing job in terms of the brand, the brand attributes, core of the brand, the brand messaging, the, your unique value proposition, and so on and so forth. And then to pursue a strategy, you would need to understand what are the key audiences that you would need to in- interact with. And then you would need to understand what are those audience needs and what type of messaging you would need to create to appeal to those audiences. And then you would match the, your brand attributes, core messaging to the messaging of those audiences. 
And that's the work that needs to happen. That's how you create your brand map and the brand, if you will. Obviously, you're going through a pretty methodical process to think about your personal brand, which is the right way to do it. I think a lot of times we would, we might be naive to know that some of the best executives have really thought about this throughout their career. Some people are more innately you in tune to building a personal brand than others. The way I always think about this, to be honest, it's more of like, what are the two or three things you want to be known for that aligns to where you want to go with your career? Because I think one of the things I was going to ask you as you're, as you're talking, you think about appealing to audiences, trying to tailor messaging. How do you do that and still be authentic or at least true to who you are? Is that possible? I like the question, what is it that you want to be known for? Because that would go exactly to the core of your brand. So what is the core? Do you want to be known as a astute executive or a trusted advisor or a marketeer or whatever you want, you want it to be? And don't be too fluffy about it. Yeah, be very specific about what is it that you want to be known for and don't be don't try to be too comprehensive. Don't try to embrace the universe. And then on the topic of authenticity, it's okay to play a part. What really is important is to be consistent. If you're inauthentically consistent, it's okay. And first of all, nobody will notice. Research is very consistent and the research confirms that people are very poor at recognizing that someone is inauthentic or someone is lying to them, someone is acting. So if you want, if it serves your personal brand to be somewhat inauthentic, that's all right. We are all inauthentic at some parts in our lives. Every time that we change jobs, particularly as we go up the career ladder, we are inauthentic and we're pretending something that we are not until we're fully grown into the new position. Remember that when you got married, you know, were you authentic husband, wife, spouse from day one? No, you've grown into that role. Or when you became a parent, were you authentically a parent from... No, you've grown into the role. So we've, we've all become someone. And then we buy cases, buy a chance sometimes, and then we learn how to be that, that person. So we've all been inauthentically someone, and then we've adapted our behavior. I think that authenticity is a word that is a bit misunderstood and that there is a bad rap about it. So I think that it's okay to be inauthentic if it serves your if it serves your purpose. What is important is consistency. So I would prioritize consistency over over authenticity if it really serves the strategy that you're pursuing in your personal branding and if that's what really works for you in your career strategy. I think that's one of the best descriptions of how to be authentic and really how we grow into being authentic. You may feel a little bit awkward when you try that new behavior. It's the first time I was a dad and a parent or married. You're right. It's, you're not really used to that role. 
but you fast forward 10, 15 years and you're like, yep, I'm used to that now. And I am a dad, a parent, a spouse, whatever. So I think that's a terrific, terrific explanation, Sergey. My last question for you is, what is the one word or phrase that you believe will define the future of HR over the next five to 10 years? Coming of age. I've seen HR becoming professionalized over the past five to 10 years in a number of different ways. If I look at the classes of HR students at Cornell or University of South Carolina, their students one or two years before graduations already have job offers. So companies have recognized the value of HR talent and specialized HR talent. So it's not just anyone can be an HR, but they want to go after those specific talents. COEs are being staffed with IOSIKES and people know how to program in R and who know what Python is and that is not an animal. And there are, there is so much focus right now with great resignation. Companies have focused on their talent acquisition function and started staffing them with their best people versus, you know, recruitment has always been the poor cousin of, of HR. Learning is becoming so important because, because of the focus on skills and everything that is getting to, to be focused on the skill-based approach to talent, compensation, whatnot. And it's the ability to learn and relearn and uplearn. So when I look at all of that, I think that everything that we've been talking about and researching and teaching, it will be coming of age in the next three, five, eight years. And finally, HR will be getting that, that seat at the table and no longer the folding chair that we've been bringing along all these years. I love it. Coming of age, HR, I think the future is bright. Sergey, thank you so much for spending time with us today and really educating us around personal brand equity. It's a pleasure, JP. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Future of HR Podcast. Thanks again to Sergey for his insights on building your personal brand equity and its impact on your career. As always, you can go to futureofhr.com to view all of our past episodes and learn more about our mission to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. And if you're enjoying the Future of HR, be sure to subscribe and please help us spread the word to other next-gen HR leaders like yourself. We'll be back next week with Lisa Buckingham, former Executive Vice President and Chief People, Place, and Brand Officer of Lincoln Financial Group. Lisa is an inspirational and respected senior HR and business leader who understands what it takes to impact the business and build a world-class employee experience. In our conversation, Lisa and I will discuss why each of us should be on a personal journey of development, why every CHRO should think of themselves as a chief talent officer, why HR leaders must take care of themselves and at times put their well-being ahead of others, and her advice for next-gen HR leaders on how to stand out from the crowd. Thanks again for listening to the future of HR and being part of our community.